Good morning, everyone. Very good to see you this morning. We're going to focus on uh, John chapter 21 this morning, and I'm going to make an effort to try to cover the chapter this morning. Uh, we've spent a very long time on, on John, and uh, so uh, there's plans for a group of uh, uh, teachers to follow this group that's been teaching, and uh, uh, there'll be more information about that. So we'll, we'll get concluded here as quickly as we can. I'm going to cover chapter 21. Brother Paul's going to follow me uh, next week, and I don't know how much longer beyond that uh, with kind of a John summary our overview, and uh, then, we'll, then we'll have concluded uh, our study of John. So we're coming to the final chapter of, of John. Um, we've <clears throat> spent a couple of weeks on, um, or maybe three weeks on, on chapter 20. Mark taught that. Uh, our Lord has been resurrected in chapter 20, and we've been given all these uh, uh, details about uh, the Him appearing to various individuals and, and to various groups. And so John has told us a story. Uh, and, and now he's, he's making a conclusion. And so now we kind of come to the epilogue of John. John chapter 21 is an epilogue. And so John is, as he's opening that chapter uh, with verse 1, uh, is setting kind of the scene and the events that are going to take place that we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, John chapter 21 and verse 1 reads this, After these things Jesus showed Himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way He showed Himself. And so, so John begins by saying, after these things. So he's talking about what transpired in you know, uh, what we call chapter 20. Uh, he's he's, he's kind of setting the scene, if you will. Let's, let's think about this for a moment, going back to chapter 20. Uh, Jesus appeared in numerous ways. He appeared in, in Jerusalem. He appeared in Galilee. He appeared in between Jerusalem and Galilee. Uh, he appeared to men. He appeared to women. He appeared outdoors. He appeared indoors. He appeared at night. He appeared during the day. And this transpired over a period of about 40 days, many different appearances. And we look at history, and even it continues in today, we don't even have to classify it as history. We hear people speak of, of saying that God spoke to me. You know, you hear that from time to time. Uh, I clicked on a, a YouTube the other day uh, that, that I noticed of a lady, and she was claiming that God spoke to her. I only watched about 30 seconds of it before I was off of it. Uh, but in her description, she goes and lays down in her bed at night and waits for God to speak to her. Well, the point is that there's nobody there to prove that. You know, it's just her word. Uh, we see that, you know, with uh, the so-called evangelists on, on TV that claim to heal people. Well, they heal people there on the stage of things you can't see. There's not anybody that comes up on stage with a withered hand or some sort of defect, you know, that, that, that they have in their body, not able to walk or something like that, and you see the immediate apparent uh, miracle. So it calls into question that sort of thing. But um, if, if the Lord had come and talked to that woman, he's not going to tell her nothing that's not in the Bible. I mean, it's there, so he can mm-hmm. say that he kind of gets. Mm-hmm. He's not going to tell her nothing to her 
Exactly. So um, the point I'm making, I kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent there, but the point I'm making is, is that it was real. It was, he appeared. And he didn't appear to just one person one time. It was many times under many circumstances, and that, that's the point that we're making. So appeared at night, appeared at day, appeared to men, appeared to women, appeared to groups, uh, daytime, nighttime, so forth. So looking at uh, verses 2 and 3, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. So here Peter is, he's with several of the the apostles, several of the disciples, Thomas, James, John, and two others. So the apostles are still together. uh, But but they're kind of waiting, if you will, for the next step in in the ministry that they're going to going to do. Um, I, I kind of am of the opinion that, that they likely don't really know exactly what's about you know, to happen. They don't really know. You know they, they understand there's something going to happen and, it, and, and they, they're, uh, I don't mean that they're feeling negative about it or anything like that, but uh, they don't know what it's going to look like. The days are going by you know, they, they've seen Jesus and they've, they've received the indwelling of the Spirit. John, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23 uh, reads this, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When He had said this, He showed them His hands and His sides and His side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So Peter is in that group. Now, Peter, uh, being the person he is, uh, going back to what we just read in, in chapter 21 is uh, uh, kind of a nervous sort of person is, is how I envision him. Uh, he's, he's sitting around, he's waiting, he wants something to happen, it's not happening. Uh, he seems to have become kind of maybe a little agitated or at a, at a minimum maybe just a little impatient, if you will. Uh, and so they're waiting. And, it, and it, as I said, it could be that they... They don't know exactly what's going to, going to come, and so, so they're maybe even starting to wonder, starting to ponder about things. You know, what's going to happen here? Uh, what's my future? What's our future? Uh, what does it hold? What, what are they going to do? And, and, and maybe even so, they're starting to think about how they're going to support themselves going forward. You know, they're thinking about that. Uh, and, and of course, we're talking about Peter. Peter's a very compulsive person. Would you argue with that? Uh, you know, a compulsive as a person could be. And, and it seems he's sitting around and he's, he decides he's going to do something. And, and so, what does he do? He goes back to what he's familiar with. Uh, and there's a few fishermen in here. Uh, there's something about... Uh, catching fish that seems to have a pull on, on, on some folks. Now, now Peter did it for a living, but 
Uh, if he's anything like some of these fishermen I know, he probably enjoyed that quite a bit. Uh, and, and honestly, isn't that what we all do? Um, would we not fall back to the things that we know or the things that we enjoy? We, we go back to those things. And so, so maybe they needed to support themselves. Maybe they needed money. Maybe they needed food. Uh, um, maybe the people who had been supporting them were, were now afraid to do that given the circumstances of the crucifixion. Uh, and, and so the apostles had to eat and live. Of course, I'm, I'm just speculating. I'm just sharing my thoughts with you. Uh, none of that is fact. It just seems reasonable when you think about it. And so we have this, this familiar scene that develops here. They go fishing. They fish all night. And they don't catch a thing. And I know some fishermen in here that, you know, like that too. You know? <laughs> I'm one of them. I, 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 was, I used to fish a lot, but I, I don't anymore, and I wasn't very good at it. That's why I don't fish anymore. But anyway, chapter 21, verses 4 through 6. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. And so here's the scene. The sun's rising, and, and Jesus is standing on the beach, and they don't know who he is. They don't know it's him. And he asks them if they've caught any fish, and, and they respond and say no, and and he directs them to cast the net on the other side of the boat, the right-hand side of the boat, and there's an instantaneous miracle there. Uh, immediately, their, their, their nets are filled on the other side of the boat. So verses 7 and 8, Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. But the other disciple came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Let's think about the personalities here for a little bit. We're, we're kind of focusing on that. We're, let's, let's kind of focus maybe on the human nature there. Um, so for some reason, they didn't recognize the Lord. I'm, I'm puzzled by that. I, I don't think it was far enough away that they that they wouldn't you know, recognize him, but they didn't recognize him. And maybe they're focused in on what, what their task is, what they're doing. They're, the, they're fishing and, and they want to catch fish, and, and maybe that prevented them from recognizing the Lord. Maybe it was just a casual glance over there to the shore, you know, and they, they didn't know who it was. But Peter, once he recognizes who the Lord is, and I think this is very key here, is just so enthusiastic that it's the Lord. What does he do? He doesn't wait for the boat to get to the shore. He can't wait. Puts his garment on, dives in, swims to the shore. That says something about where Peter's heart is, where his mind is. You know, I I, I suspect he's suffering. And I, I can't prove that, but I suspect day by day he's thinking about, you know, the events of these past days and, and what he did. And, and it's hurting him. And he sees the Lord and he, he can't get to him quick enough. So, the others following the boat. I suspect they had so many fish they were concerned about losing it. So, so they follow in the boat. Verses 9 through 11. 
Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. So they caught fish, but Jesus had already uh, built a fire and, and... and that fire had fish and bread on it being prepared for them. And, but, but Jesus tells them, go take care of the fish. And so I guess Peter being on the land, he could do that a little, you know, he could be helpful from that, that point of view. Uh, and so Jesus tells them to, to go, go get some of the fish they caught and bring it, bring it. And so they caught a lot of fish. And when you fish like this, you catch everything. Good fish, bad fish however you want to categorize it, big fish, small fish. So they have to be sorted and and then others, you know, that you cull out and don't want, you throw back. And so uh, uh, they hadn't been sorted, but Jesus has built this this fire over here and and their breakfast is cooking. And I kind of have the vision in my mind, they fished all night, they're probably wore out. They may even be a little cold. Hungry, you know, uh, they had struggled through the whole night. Now, here's this one few moments where they did finally catch the, the net, uh, you know, through the miracle there. And so, in sorting them, you're going to take small ones and throw them back, ones that you, you know, are not edible, throw them back. And um, there are 153 large fish. And I, you know, there's been a lot of written. Uh, about the significance of that 153. I don't believe there's any significance to it. I think it's just one of those very specific details that John puts in there to give us that, that very clear visual you know, of this scene here. He, he's, he's just providing some vivid details for this very, very extraordinary moment. Um, it's just another small detail. It's a fishing trip, a normal fishing trip that they've been on many times. It's a small group. Uh, perhaps there's nothing special about the breakfast, but, you know, I kind of think about um, when Jesus changed the water to wine, what did they say about that wine? It was the best. Yeah, and so I, I kind of wonder if that wasn't some of the most delicious fish and bread that those, that those fellows had ever had, you know, as a consequence of, of just that. I don't know that, but that's just an opinion again. Jesus said to them in verse 12, Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the the disciples dared ask Him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed Himself to His disciples after He was raised from the dead. And so uh, John, I'm sorry, continues with this uh, very matter-of-fact description of this very extraordinary moment. The disciples now are around that fire. They're eating. They're sitting there quietly. They're eating the food that Jesus has prepared for them. They know who He is. They have to appreciate how exceptional that moment is right there that they're sitting in. And then John adds there, as we read in, in verse 14, that this is now the third time that Jesus has appeared to them uh, after his, his resurrection. And John is the only 
gospel writer of the four to describe all three appearances of Jesus to the apostles as a group without other people, you know, there. Uh, there was the appearance he did when Thomas wasn't there. The next appearance was the group with Thomas there and now here by the Sea of Galilee uh, with, with no others present. Verse 15, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he, had, because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, we know Jesus has already appeared to Peter alone. Uh, Luke chapter 24 and verse 34, 1 Corinthians 15, 4. But, but we don't know any details about that meeting. We just know it, it happened. And Jesus included Peter with the faithful apostles when, when he told the women to go tell the disciples and Peter in Mark 16 and verse 7. One second, Paul. Then we, we can conclude that uh, Peter had received forgiveness at the time for the sins of the Nile. Okay, we're going to come here in just a second, Paul. We'll get to that in a second. <laughs> uh, we read uh, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, and we saw that the apostles were there when Jesus appeared and gave the Holy Spirit and, and authorized them to go uh, into the world. And so we, we know Peter has the Holy Spirit, and, and Peter has received the commission along with the others. He's, he's been forgiven. Um, one thing too that comes to mind I wanted to mention is uh, during uh, several weeks back during the lesson on John 18 that Paul taught there was some discussion around the event where Peter cut off the ear of Malchus uh, and, and somebody asked the question well why was that included in scripture I don't remember how that discussion evolved in our class but and, and I made a comment to that um, 
what, in other words, what, what was the purpose for including that event in the Scripture? And I gave you my opinion on that, and I think it was because we needed to know that Peter put himself in an extremely public position right there. He was center stage. There were hundreds of men standing there looking at that. He was center stage. The spotlight was on him. He pulled his sword. He cut that man's ear off trying to kill the man, and we talked about how he probably swayed, and that's, that's why he, he cut that off. Later, when Peter is denying the Lord, they knew he was in the garden. They knew. They knew who he was when he, when, when, when he was making the denials. His denials, his sin, was very public. It wasn't something private. Everybody saw what transpired and heard what transpired and knew it, everybody, but a large, large group of people. Yes, sir. That's, what, that's the point I made. That the man whose ear cut off, there was somebody asking Peter, and Peter denied it, and they were a relative of, of Malchus, so it, it was undeniable. It was undeniable that, uh, in, in the case of Peter. And so it was a grievous sort of sin. Uh, I think verses 15 through 17 here is for the purpose. Jesus, Jesus did this for the purpose to publicly restore Peter and, and to confirm his apostleship and his ministry as well as his re- repentance and as well as his approval by the Lord. That's what, that's what the purpose is here. Uh, but he, he and the Lord likely know he, he's been forgiven. He's received the Holy Spirit, but the general world, the general immediate world he's in doesn't know that. What they know is, is he was the one that was out front. He was the vocal one. He was the compulsive one. He, he was the big talker. Uh, he was the one that said, I'll go with you anywhere. I'm ready to die for you. Very emphatically, I'm sure, said that. Yet, what happened when the time came? He was the one that cut and run. When, when Jesus was arrested. And, and so all they know about Peter is that, that he denied the Lord. And, and I would think they'd look at him as somewhat of a coward, if you will. I would think people were thinking of that. Now, on an intimate basis, on a one-on-one basis, Jesus has brought him in. Jesus has forgiven him and given him the Spirit and included him as an apostle. But there, there needs to be something a little more public here to, to help other people not have a, a stumbling block because of, of, of Peter's former formal denial. So how does Jesus do that? He does it, of course, as we've read, by asking three questions. And as Paul, Paul mentioned there, uh, three different questions. In our English, it seems to be the same question the way it's translated, but, but it's three different questions. Question number one, do you love me more than these? Now what is that a reference to? That is a reference to Peter's former 
boasting self who said, I'm ready to die for you. That, that was a boastful claim that, hey, these other guys, they're following you, but I'm ready to die for you. As if he's a little bit above those others there. He was, he was kind of saying that. So now Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? And in that question is embedded another question that Peter understands, and it goes something kind of like this. Peter, is your love greater than these? Is your love greater than these? In other words, do you love me more than these fellows around me here? These other fellows? Peter? And so Peter being humbled by these past failures, answers more in line with what was true. And that is, the Lord knows the extent of His love. You know, Peter has come to a point where he understands, I don't have to tell the Lord how much I love Him. He knows how much I love Him. And I have faith that He knows that. And he says, Lord, You know I love You. You you know how much I love You. Not more than these other guys. You just know me. And yes, I love you. To this, I think, more honest and realistic response, Jesus gives him the commission, if you will, of kind of pastoral leadership. He's not making Peter over or the leader of the apostles. He's not to feed the other apostles. Excuse me. Fighting a little scratchy throat here. I'm sorry. He is to lead and feed the flock, the believers, like the other apostles are going to do as well. If, If there's anyone out there who thinks he doesn't qualify he being Peter, to, to preach and teach, well, the Lord is, is giving him the mandate right there in front of them by saying, go and feed my sheep. And, and remember, remember this, keep this in context. The other apostles had not betrayed Jesus like Peter did. So, so they didn't need to be restored and, uh, to this apostolic kind of role that Peter is is being restored to. Now, yes, they ran away too, but again, talk, we were talking there earlier about Peter's denial being so very public. And, and so the first question directs Peter to the task that, that he needs to perform. So question number two, do you love me? Again, in English, it sounds the same. The same question, but, but this time, there's no comparison to the others. It's just simply... Do you love me? After all that's happened, after all the denials, Peter, do you really love me? Now, when Peter denied the Lord, um, his actions were not coming from a point of love, but rather were made probably out of concern and fear, self-preservation. So how does Peter answer it this time? He answers it in the same way putting his confidence in Jesus and Jesus' ability to see Peter's heart 
and to know that Peter loves him and that that love is true, that he knows that that the love he does have is true. Lord, you know I love you. He's saying, you know, Lord, you, you know the extent of my love. And so Jesus builds on this again to, to, to focus Peter to the flock, directing him to invest his love, this love of Jesus that he has, into the need to love others and direct others. In other words, this is how you will prove your love to me. Take care of my sheep. You'll show me you love me by taking care of my sheep. And so, the second question is kind of the result is is that it gives Peter the motivation for the task that Jesus is giving Peter. Question number three. Jesus asked Peter the third time, do you love me? And this time, Peter feels anguish. I think at this time, uh, and let me back up a step. Peter didn't know this. Peter's experiencing this. He doesn't know what the Lord is doing. Why is the Lord, he's probably sitting there thinking, why is he asking me that? He knows my heart. Why does he keep asking me that? Then he comes to the third time. And it becomes abundantly clear the purpose for all these questions. If, if anybody there was wondering why Jesus is asking Peter these questions, when he comes to the third one, they understand what's going on. And so does Peter. The purpose of this on the part of Jesus was to purge the three very, very public denials in a public way. In a public way, Peter, you denied me three times. In a public way, you're going to affirm your love for me three times. When, when Peter denied the Lord, he kind of left the circle of the apostles And so what the Lord is doing through this is He reinstates him publicly with three affirmations of love and and confidence that yes, Jesus does know His heart and it's true. And and He finishes with an admonition to care even for the smallest and, and the weakest of His flock. Now, that Peter... Peter knew about failure. He knows about weakness. And now he understands what, what it means to be totally dependent. Uh, he's ready to care for the souls that he's going to be responsible for within the family of God. And so his pride has gone through quite a transition. Um, it's been kind of whittled away by first his failings, but now the Lord has given him something that's very, very responsible, given him something to do. And, and that ought to make you think about your own life. Think, think about your own sins. Think about your, your own failings 
and, and realize that despite all of that, that, that when you repent, you're forgiven. He finds something for you to do, and that something is to serve Him. Um, and I think this interaction with Peter brings out very clearly that a person who denied the Lord after he publicly said he would never do such a thing, here in his kindness, the Lord finds a way to use Peter. That's the story for all of us. We're all broken people. We all have broken lines. We all sin. But but if we allow Him to, He he restores us and He uses us in a, in a, a very mighty way, a very efficient, profitable way, if we let Him, if we allow Him. All right, let me read... Uh, Well, I don't take time to read it because we're getting short on time. Um, verses 18 through 24, these verses are kind of self-explanatory. They're, they're meant to clear up some confusion that apparently existed before the book of John was written. The book of John was written somewhere around 80 to 85 A.D. And uh, Jesus here in these verses, He kind of prophesies the type of death that Peter would experience and, and that Peter would be a martyr in his death. Now, we don't know definitively, but traditionally, we possibly know how Peter died. Uh, remember, remember how he was boasting that he was willing to die this way before he denied the Lord? And so now Jesus is kind of saying, you know what you said? You were willing to die for me? Well, I'm going to give you that. I'm going to fulfill that request. You are going to die for me. And in tradition, uh, some historians wrote that Peter was, was martyred in Rome around 68 A.D. by Nero. And that he was crucified. And tradition says that he, he didn't want to be crucified like his Lord. So he requested to be crucified upside down. <clears throat> so, back on track. Peter was reinstated... He was going to die. He was going to be a martyr, but his future death would glorify God. And, and so Jesus asked him to follow him, and, and John is seen following behind, and Peter asked Jesus about John, saying, what about this man? What's going to happen to him? And, and Jesus answers that, that John's future is in Jesus' hand, just like Peter's future was in his hand. And, and if the Lord wanted him to remain alive, uh, until the second coming, that was out of Peter's hands. Nothing more than that. A lot has been written into that, this passage here. But it's really nothing more than that. In other words, Jesus is saying, if I wanted him to stay, say, to the end of the world, what's that to you? What's that to you? I'm the one that controls that, not you. Again, that's some of the more the compulsive side of Peter coming out. And John then explains that the early disciples thought that to mean that John would, would definitely be alive when Jesus returned. Now we know that John lived and died a natural death. He lived to a very old age, uh, much longer than the average person back then. I think the lifespan back then was thought to be around 45 years. 
But John lived well into his old age, so there may have been some that thought that was true just because of that. But John corrects it by saying if Jesus wanted that to happen, then it would, but, but that, that that was not a promise. He, he denies himself as a witness of the events and the writer of the book to erase any doubts you know, the people reading it would, would, would ever have. Verse 25 is the concluding verse where it says, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which, is, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain all the books that could be written. So that summary closes the book, but it, but it leaves open the, the view of Jesus' life and His work, and there's plenty there to, to study and read and base our decision on to, to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. But it's not all. It's not all. There's actually more than that we don't know. Uh, just to, to finish up right quick, uh, Brother Massalongo, uh, I don't know if you've heard his video on this, this chapter or not, but he, he, he brought something up that I thought was kind of curious, so I tried it. Have you ever Googled Jesus? You ever done that? I did it. 940 million hits in one second. That's what I saw. Articles, various writings, books, commentaries. And people want to tell you that no one's interested in religion. You know, they want to act like that, that there's something wrong with Christianity. Everybody knows who Bill O'Reilly is, on, was on Fox News. You know, he wrote a series of books. This is something, again, Brother Massalongo brought up. Killing Lincoln, Killing Kennedy. And then he did one called Killing Jesus. And according to Brother Massalongo, I've not read that book, but you can, you can get 80% of what's in the book out of the Scripture, but he goes into a lot of detail about the Roman Empire in that, in that book. It debuted at number one on the New York Times bestseller. And it stayed there for 52 weeks. They couldn't print enough books. They printed millions and millions of them about Jesus. That's how hungry people are for the Word. And I think back to uh, you know, our, what we've talked about with evangelism and all, uh, how um, using Brother Rob Whitaker's method with the little basic books that just do nothing but teach Scripture. That's all you've got to do. That's all you've got to do. The story of the life and the burial and the resurrection of Christ is still something that draws people. They're hungry for it. And we ought not to be afraid to share that, share our faith, because there's people out there who, who are hungry to know Jesus Christ and about Jesus Christ and to know how to how to find salvation. Okay, I went over a little, little over time. Thank you for your comments this morning. I know I rushed through that. We are finished with 21, and so Paul, you'll be up next, next week, and we'll go from there. Thank you again for your comments. Your